All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 5, and I'd like you to look at verse number 1. And the Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we're probably going to spend a couple of weeks in chapter 5. I don't think I'm going to get through the entire chapter tonight. I'm not planning on it. I'm planning on going about halfway. But just to kind of remind you of what's going on, David and uh, Abner have been, I'm sorry, David and Joab have been fighting uh, Ishbosheth and Abner, uh, and there's been a little bit of a civil war, the southern kingdom versus the northern kingdom. And in the last chapter, both Abner, the general of the northern kingdom, and Ishbosheth, the king of the northern kingdom, died. So basically, the competition is gone now. And in this chapter, verse 1, the Bible says that the tribes of Israel come to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Notice verse number 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And I want you to notice this phrase, and they anointed David king over Israel. Now that's a really short phrase there, but there's a lot in that. Because if you remember, basically... From 1 Samuel chapter number 16 was, is when David was a young lad and he was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel all the way up to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and all that we've gone through there. I mean, David and Goliath and marrying, marrying the daughters of Saul and killing 100 Philistines or 200, you know, being challenged to kill 100 and he kills 200 and, and running you know, away uh, from, from Israel and, and all those stories up to this point basically... David gets to the place where what God had promised to him comes to fruition and he becomes king over all Israel. We know for a while he was king over the southern part of Israel. Now he's king over all Israel and it's been a long time in coming. And here's what you need to understand. David finally gets to God, gets God's given purpose for his life. It's finally achieved. And here's what I want you to understand. I believe that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. In fact, and we won't turn there, but if you go to Jeremiah chapter 1, you'll remember that God told the prophet Jeremiah that he had ordained him to be a, a prophet from the womb before Jeremiah was even born, that God had ordained him to be a prophet. And I believe God has a plan for you. I believe God has a plan for me. I don't know necessarily what your plan is, and, I, I, and, and I'm not even 100% sure everything that God would have me to do, but I, I believe part of God's plan is for me to be a husband to my wife and obviously a father to my children. I believe God's will is that I pastor the this church. I believe all of us ought to be involved in evangelism and soul winning and reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. David, one of David's major purposes in life, I believe, was to be the king. And we get here to 2 Samuel chapter 5, and he achieves that. He, he gets that purpose, and you've got a purpose, and I've got a purpose. And I, I, I believe as we look at this chapter, and as we look at the first part of this chapter, we can see Three distinct keys for achieving the God-given purpose for your life. See, God would have something for you to do. God has something for you to accomplish. God has something that He wants you to do in your life. And I think we can see from the life of David three things that he did, three keys that helped him get to that place. I'd like you to write these down, if you don't mind, maybe in the margin of your Bible or uh, on the course of the week there on the back. You've got a place for sermon notes. If you've got a, a, a place to take notes, hopefully you came to Bible study to study the Bible. And I'd, I'd like you to write these, 
three keys down, three keys for achieving God's will, three keys for achieving God's purpose, three keys for achieving God's plan for your life. Now, notice verse number one again. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also, in time past. Now, notice what they said. They're coming to David to say, you should be our king. Now, notice what they said. They said, when Saul was king over us, notice, when Saul was king over us, that was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. One of the greatest characteristics about David is the fact that he was content to be a follower while waiting to become the leader. God anointed him through Samuel to be king of Israel all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter number 16. But all those years, even while another man led, while a backslidden man led, while a a treacherous man led and held the position that was his God-given position, the Bible tells us about David, and here you've got the men uh, 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 explaining that and saying that, if you notice in verse 2 again, when Saul was king over us, You let us out, and you brought us in, and you were content to be a follower while waiting to be a leader. And notice what it says, And the Lord said to thee, that thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. They say, we know God said to you that you were supposed to be the leader, but while Saul was king, you were content, and you were embracing of the position you're in. And here's the point that I have for you, is God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has somewhere where he wants you to get. And, And by the way, it's more than just one thing. He's got multiple things he'd he'd have for you to do. But if you're going to get there, if you're going to be able to, like the Apostle Paul, say, I keep hitting this thing. I don't know why. If it was moved back or moved front or something. If you're going to be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, I finished my course. I kept the faith. I did what I was supposed to do. You're going to have to learn some things that David learned. Number one, please write this statement down. Key number one, you need to learn to be content in your current stage in life. You need to learn to be content in your current stage in life. Keep your finger there in 1 Samuel chapter 5. That's our text for tonight. Go with me, please, to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've seen these verses recently, but I'd like you to see them again. Ecclesiastes, you're going to go towards the right in the Bible. You're going to go past 2 Samuel, past 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. If you can find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, we've seen these verses. I think we saw them last Wednesday night, but let's look at them again together. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, and look at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. To everything, to everything, and if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline these words. There is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. There is a season. There is a time. And here's what you need to understand. It's not just that there is a season and there is a time, but don't miss this. There is a purpose. Do you notice the word purpose? To everything there is a season and every time and a time to every purpose. Every time in your life has a purpose. Every season in your life has a purpose. There's nothing you go through in life that God is not using in your life, and it has a purpose to get you to the goal that God would have you to come to. David understood this. 
David understood that the time he spent in the wilderness, that the time he spent running, that the time he spent serving and following, God had a purpose in that time to prepare him to become the king of Israel. You know the verses, famous verses. Look at verse 2. He says, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck, to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And here's what you need to understand. God has different seasons in our lives, different times in our lives, and there's a purpose for each and every one of those. Human nature always wants us to get to that next stage. You know, you have these children, and they're not school age, and what do they want? To go to school. You know, they want to be like big brother or big sister that gets to go to kindergarten, and they want to go to preschool, or they want to be part of school, right? But as soon as you get those kids in school, after about six months, all of a sudden school's not as cool as it used to be, right? You get these elementary age kids, and what what does every elementary age child want to be? They want to be in junior high school. What does every junior high school kid want to be? They want to be in high school. What does every high school kid want to do? They want to graduate. They want to drive. They want to be in college. And then they're, you know, you you get single people, and what are single people? All single people are obsessed with one thing, dating and getting married. Then they date and they get married, and you're obsessed with having children. Then once you start having a few children, you know what you get obsessed with? Not having children. And you want to, you know, you start daydreaming about the day that you're going to be an empty nester, and you don't have to have all these kids. You know, my wife and I have four children, and are are fifth on the way. And sometimes we uh, find ourselves after a long day, you know, just kind of sitting on the couch and daydreaming about how great life will be when our kids are old enough to not have to talk to them anymore, you know. And here's the thing, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the, the point is this. We have to remind ourselves to embrace and enjoy the season of life that you're in now. And the time that God has given you. And see, David understood this. David said, God has something for me. God has anointed me to be king. God will one day have me be the king of Israel. But while he wasn't king, while he was just the follower, while he was just uh, a do, you know, going through the stages in life, he understood that there was a purpose. And by the way, that's how people knew he was ready to be king. Because they said, when Saul was king, you just did what you needed to do. You need to learn to embrace and enjoy your stage of life. You need to not be in a hurry to move on. I always think it's, it's funny. You know, you get the, you know, these people, they have teenagers. They were trying to get them to grow up. You, look, you don't have to try to marry off your 15-year-old or 14-year-old or 16-year-old. By the way, you don't need to try to be homeschooling your 2-year-old. You need to just learn to be content in the stage of life that God has you. And some of you, you know, singles... That are so, you know, wound up about, I got to find a spouse, I got to find a spouse, I got to find a spouse. Maybe just learn to be content where God has you now. Learn to be content in the area that God has you, and if it would be his will. You know, sometimes young, young preachers get obsessed with the fact that, well, I got to go start a church, and I got to go be uh, in ministry, and I got to go do this, and I got to go do that, and, and the, 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 the world's not going to hell. And, and praise the Lord for it. I'm glad you're excited about it. I'm glad you want to go do it. But hey, for now, while you're not the leader, while you're not in charge, why don't you just worry about being a faithful, consistent follower and just embrace the key the key to achieving the goal that God would have for you is embracing the stage of life you're in right now and learn to be content in it and learn to find the joy in it 
and learning to say, you know, there are some things that I get to enjoy having an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. There are some things that I get to enjoy now that I will not enjoy when they're 18 and 20 and 30 years old. But you know what? When they're 18 and 20 and 30 years old, there will be things that I get to enjoy then that I don't get to enjoy now. And instead of looking and constantly looking at the other side and saying, the grass is always green on the other side, just learn to embrace and enjoy the stage of life you find yourself in now. So how is it that David got to the place? How is it that David got to a place where he was able to fulfill God's will for his life? Because here's the problem about God's will you need to understand. It's not about the point. It's about the journey. And God has something for you to do, but he, there's a purpose to every time. There's a plan for every season. There's something he wants you to learn. There's something he wants you to get. So the first key we see from the life of David, if you make your way back to 2 Samuel, is to learn to be content in your current stage in life. Learn to be content in your current stage in life. Don't constantly be looking. And, you know, the younger we are, we're like grasping for the future. And as we get older, you start grasping for the past. You know what I mean? And look, yeah, I, my, you know, I, I'm looking forward to one day being an old man. I'm not going to sit there and try to, you know, drive, you know I, I see some of, these, I, some of these preachers that I come across. They're like 50 years old. They're wearing their little skinny pants and their little trendy queer-looking shirt. I'm thinking to myself, you're 50 years old. Good night. You're not 20. Let it go. You know, it's past. You know, it's done. But here's the thing. Just learn to embrace the stage of life you're in. And don't just always be trying to grasp for something that is either gone or hasn't came. Go back to 2 Samuel. Like, you notice the second key. Look, look at verse number 3. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. Now I want you to notice what the Bible says here. And they anointed David king over Israel. And they anointed David king over Israel. Here's what I want you to know about this. This is now the third time that David's been anointed king. The Bible tells us he's been anointed king before. Go back in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter number 2. You're there in chapter 5. Just flip a few pages back to 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'd like you to notice verse number 4. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this, And the men of Judah came, and there they, notice, anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now remember, he was first anointed king over the southern part of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, he now becomes the king of the entire nation, the southern and the northern kingdom. So he's anointed king over the entire nation of Israel. But go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 16. Look at verse number 13, 2 Samuel chapter number 16 and verse number 13. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13, the Bible says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the first time that David was anointed. Now, here's what's interesting. The first time David was anointed, he doesn't become king over anything. But we just know that he is to be the king. The second time he's anointed, he doesn't become king over the entire nation, although God promised him the entire nation. He becomes king over only the southern part of Israel. And, and then the third time, he's finally anointed king over everything. But here's what you need to understand. 
you see there in 1 Samuel 16, 13, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When the oil was poured upon David and he was covered with the oil and anointed with that oil, it pictures the fact that the Holy Spirit of God came upon him. Notice what it says, 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He was anointed uh, 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 physically with oil, but it pictures the fact that the Holy Spirit's power came upon him. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Go, go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 92. If you, if you were there in Ecclesiastes, right before Ecclesiastes, you got the book of Proverbs, and you got the book of Psalms. You open your Bible right in the middle, you'll more than likely fall in Psalm. Go to Psalm 92. I want you to notice what David wrote in Psalm 92, verse 10. Jack Hiles used to have this famous sermon he preached entitled, Fresh Oil, and he preached it from this text here. I want you to notice what David said in Psalm 92.10. He said, But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. Now notice what he says. He says, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Do you see that? I want you to understand something. David was anointed three different times, but I believe it was at his request. See, when they made him king over the southern part of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter number 2, he could have said, I've already been anointed king. In fact, I've been anointed king over the entire nation of Israel. You know, I don't need to be anointed king again. I, it's already been given to me by God. He could have said that and that would have been fine. But I believe that he was anointed king there in 1 Samuel 16 as a young lad. He went through that whole trials and troubles and tribulations. And when he was anointed over the southern part, not the entire kingdom, but the southern part, David said, you know what, I will be anointed with fresh oil. He said, you know, that old anointing years ago, that's not enough. That's not good enough. I want fresh oil. I want a fresh anointing. I want a fresh unction of the Spirit of God for this work that God has given me to do. And it was just that southern kingdom. And then God gave him the entire kingdom. And he said, you know what, I want fresh oil. I want a fresh anointing. I want, I want the Spirit of God on my life. Go, go to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 1. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2 Corinthians. I know we don't talk too much about these type of things as Baptists, and we let the Charismatics and Pentecostals get away with these things, but you know the Bible talks about the filling of the Holy Ghost? Right? The Bible talks about the power of the Holy Spirit? Right? The Bible talks about the fact that the power of God can come upon a man, can come upon a woman, can come upon an individual. You read there in Ezekiel where the hand of God was upon him. You read all throughout the Bible where the power of God came upon men, where it came upon individuals. The Bible tells us in, in, in the book of Acts, don't turn there, but the book of Acts, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost, men, women, the entire church there was filled. Uh, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number, uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. While you go there, let me read for you from Ephesians 5.18. The Bible says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And I, I don't answer this out loud, but I, I would want to ask you, have, have you ever known that you were filled with the Spirit of God? I mean, have you ever known, do you know, has there ever been a time in your life when you say, I know at this moment God has His hand on my life. I know at this moment I'm not walking in the flesh, I'm walking in the Spirit, and the power of God is upon me. Have you ever known that? And some of us would say, there was a time in my life, there was a time when I got saved or when I got right with God or 
when I started living right and started doing right, and I know that God's hand was on me, and I know that God was leading me and God was guiding me. But listen to me. If you're going to end your life achieving the purpose that God has for you, you're going to have to, like David, say, one time's not enough. In fact, as my influence grows, as my responsibility grows, as my kingdom grows, as God blesses me, I need fresh oil. I need a fresh anointing. I need the fresh power of God. You're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ hath anointed us and hath anointed us is God. Look at verse 22. Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Notice the connection between being anointed and, and the Holy Spirit. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. The Bible says this. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. Notice this. Is renewed day by day. See, I would submit to some of you tonight. I wish I, wish I could. I, I had the, the talent or the ability to be able to communicate what's on my heart for you tonight. But see, some of you are, 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 are having children right now. And your children are young. And you need to learn to get alone with God and Thank him for the Holy Spirit power, for the filling of the Holy Spirit that you need because you're going to need the Holy Spirit's power to help you raise that little baby. But you know what? There's going to come a day when that little baby is not going to be a baby anymore. And they're going to be starting school. And maybe you're going to homeschool mom. Or maybe, dad, you're going to support the family on one income so your wife can stay home and rear those children. Or maybe because of the situation you happen to be in, those children have to go to some sort of a school outside the home or whatever that might be. But listen to me. When you get to that place, you can't say, oh, back then when I prayed, when they were born, that was enough. No, see, in every stage, every time the kingdom grows a little bit, every time responsibility grows a little bit, every time the influence grows a little bit, in that stage, you got to learn to get along with God and say, I've got an 8-year-old now. I've got a 16-year-old now. I've got a child that's getting married. I've got grandchildren now. And I need a fresh anointing of God. See, David understood that it wasn't enough to be anointed once. It needed to be renewed. You know, you need to understand this. As our church grows, you know, I needed, a holy, I needed the Holy Spirit's power when we were running 50. But you know what? I need a fresh anointing when we're running 150. If our church is going to run 500 someday, I'm going to need to learn to get the Holy Spirit's power of God. We're going to need a fresh renewal. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. And see, the problem with some of you, the reason you're cold, the reason you're not excited, the reason you're getting backslidden, the reason your attendance is less and less, the reason your soul winning is less and less, the reason your Bible reading is less and less, and you're kind of hit and miss, you're kind of here and there, and eventually you'll fade out and we won't even notice. We'll say, oh, it's been six weeks and we saw so-and-so, but since they were kind of coming and going and not being as faithful as they used to be, you say, well, why is that? I'll tell you why it is, because you're counting on an old anointing. It's been a while since you knew what it meant to have the Holy Spirit on your life. It's been a while since you knew that the Holy Spirit used you to witness to someone, to give the gospel to someone, to, to minister to someone. It's been a while since you know. And David, one of the keys that David understood is he said, I don't want an old anointing. He said, as my responsibility grows, as my kingdom grows, as my influence grows, I need a fresh anointing from God. He said, I will have fresh oil. So what do we see? Number one, learn to be content in your current stage in life. Don't be always looking for that next, well, I just, I'm not happy here. I have to have. Why? What if God's will is for you to live there for the rest of your life? 
Learn to be content. David said, you know, it might be years before I'm king, and I'll, maybe God changes mind. Maybe I won't be king. But you know what? While I'm working under Saul, I'll just be happy to work under Saul. David understood this when influence grew. And notice, it came in stages. He didn't go from being a shepherd boy to being king. He went from being a shepherd boy to being a soldier. He went from being a soldier to being in charge of a few men. He went from being in charge of a few men to leading the army. He, le- he went from leading the army to leading those great warriors known as David's mighty man. He went from there to leading the southern kingdom and from there to leading the northern kingdom. God grows us in stages. There's a purpose to every season. And I would submit to you tonight that if David would have got frustrated when, back when he was a soldier and said, God, you know what? I quit on this thing. You said I was going to be king and wouldn't allow God to take him through those stages in his life. He would have never got to the place where he achieved his purpose that God had for him. I said number two tonight, seek a fresh anointing when you're Stage in life changes. Here in several months, Lord willing, we're going to go into a new 10,000 square foot building. On a Wednesday night, we're okay with space, but on Sunday morning, we had 200 people here on Sunday morning, and we're packed. And I, I've already have plans and things that I know I'd like our church to do, and things we're going to stretch ourselves. I'm taking on the life verse of the Apostle Paul that I would gladly spend and be spent And I think I'm going to stretch myself in the ministries and works that we've got planned for the things that our church is going to do to reach this community. But you know what? We're not going to do that with that old anointing from last year or five years ago or when we started out. We're going to have to learn to get alone with God for a fresh anointing. And David said, I don't want that old anointing. He said, I'll be anointed with fresh oil. I want a fresh unction. I want to God is with me today, not yesterday like you to notice the third key. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Look at verse number 6. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. I want you to notice that the Bible says here the inhabitants of the land. Jerusalem is a famous city. We all know about it. Jerusalem becomes the city of the Bible. And I mean, right, even now, even today, Jerusalem is a, a highly sought-for city. And during the time of the Bible, and even during the time of Christ, Jerusalem was a very key place for where God had put his name. But up to, the, up to this point, Jerusalem did not belong to the nation of Israel. In fact, we're going to read the story of how Jerusalem becomes part of the nation of Israel. Now, here's what I want you to understand. God had given the nation to, God, God had given Jerusalem to the people. And let's just backtrack a little bit and go back in history just to kind of catch you up. Go with me to the book of Joshua. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. Go to Joshua. If you start at the beginning, you're going to go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter number 15. And I'd like you to look at verse number 63. Here's what you need to know. God had given the land of Canaan to the nation of Israel. They were to conquer the entire land. God had already given it to them, and he'd already told them that they would have it, but they had to put some, we talked about this on Sunday night, they had to put some feet to their prayers. They had to actually go out and do it. It wasn't just enough that God said you can have it, but God says you can have it, but you got to go out and do something about it. And the Bible tells us here in Joshua chapter 15 and verse number 63, notice what the Bible says, as for the Jebusites, that's who we're talking about, right? As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all right? Jerusalem belongs to the Jebusites. Notice what the Bible says. The children of Judah could not drive them out. 
But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. Here's the reason for it. Jerusalem was a city that was very easy to defend. In fact, in other places in the Bible, Jerusalem is called a stronghold. It's called a castle. It's a place that was hard to penetrate. So when the children of Israel in the book of Joshua were trying to conquer the land, they conquered much of the land, but they weren't able to drive out the Jebusites. Go to the book of Judges. You're there in Joshua. Just one book over to Judges 1 and verse number 21. Just one book over, Judges chapter 1 and verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. Judges 1, 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. So I want you to see there again. It's recorded for us that they were not able to drive them out. They were not able to take them out. Now, I, I, I want you to understand a couple of things because David's going to go in here and completely eradicate the entire, these, these people. He gets rid of them completely. But I want you to notice that this was something that God had commanded for them to do. Go to the book of Deuteronomy and let me just kind of explain a few things because sometimes people will attack the Bible and they'll say, you know, God told these people to just go in there and kill everybody, men, women, and children, destroy everything. And here's what you need to understand. God did not do that for everyone. In fact, God gave them laws and God gave them rules. When they were to, he gave them rules of engagement. He said, if you go to battle, he said, the first thing you want to do is tell the city or the place that, you know, that you, you'd rather not kill them and you're going to have peace if they'd like peace. And if they would like peace, then you take them to be your servants. And if they refuse, then you are to besiege the city. Then you are to capture them. And he says, if they refuse, then you go ahead and kill the men. You leave the women and children alive. God gave them those rules. But, but there were some cities and some nations that God had told them that you need to go in and destroy everyone. Let me show that to you in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 16. I know our American culture says, I can't believe that God would say that. But the Bible says it. It's the word of God. Deuteronomy 20, verse 16, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 20, verse 16, I want you to notice the instructions that God gave. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, notice what he says, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. Now, he didn't say this for everyone. He said this for certain cities, to save alive nothing that breatheth, look at verse 17, but thou shalt utterly destroy them Namely, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and, notice our group, the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. There was a list of people that God said, everyone else, you go to them, you say, hey, we're going to take over if you don't you know, want peace. If you want peace, though, we'll let you live. Everyone else, if they, if they don't want peace, you besiege them, you kill the men when you take them for battle, and you save the, men, the women and children alive. But he said, these people, this list, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Persians, the Hivites, the Jebusites, he said, I want you to utterly destroy them. Thou shalt, thou shalt save alive nothing that breathe. Look at verse 18 that they teach you not to do after all their abominations. See that word abominations there? God doesn't use that word lightly. The reason that he had told them you need to kill these specific places is because they were involved in what God considered abomination. Now you say, well, what were they involved in? Go to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 20. If you go backwards from Deuteronomy, you're going to go past numbers into the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 20. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read the entire chapter of Leviticus 20. If you're interested, I'll encourage you to read it on your own. But let me just give you a quick rundown of the type of, types of things that these people were doing. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, the Bible describes that these people were sacrificing their own children as burnt human sacrifices in fire to a god named Molech. 
Could you imagine taking your little baby and burning them alive for a God as a human sacrifice? This is what they were doing. Leviticus 20, verses 1 through 5. Leviticus 20, verse 6 tells us that they were taking part in witchcraft and de- what we would call demon possession or de- possessed of devils or familiar spirits. In verse 9 of Leviticus 20, it talks about the fact that they were cursing their parents. In verse 10, it, was telling, it tells us that the, they, there was uh, adultery, widespread adultery. In verses 11 and 12 and 20 and 21 of Leviticus 20, it tells us that they were having a physical relationship with an in-laws, meaning every, everyone was just, you know, uh, you know your, your brother marries a, a, a young lady, and they were just sleeping with those people, and in-laws, and we're talking about aunts and uncles and moms and dads. I mean, you can read, you can read the passage. He explains that. In Leviticus 20.13, he talks about the fact that they were uh, involved in sodomy, homosexuality, in verse 14, he talks about the fact that they were having relationships where a man was having a physical relationship with a woman and the mother or marrying a woman and the mother. In verse 15, he talks about the fact that they were involved in bestiality. In verse 17 and 19, he talks about the fact that they were involved in incest. Now, I want you to notice in verse 23, because that's a pretty gruesome list. I mean, that's enough to make your stomach turn. And in verse number 23 of Leviticus 20, notice what it says. And ye shall not walk in the manner of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed, don't miss this, all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. God said these nations, it's not that they did some of these things. He says they did all of these things. He said they were involved in all, everything on this list. They did. So therefore these nations, you don't save them alive. You don't keep them around. You go in and you cleanse the land. You kill everything. You get it all out of the, nation, out of the land because you don't want to have any of these people around. That's what God said. It would be safer for them. It would be better for them. That was God's will. Yet they didn't do it to the Jebusites because the Jebusites were in a stronghold and they were not able to do it. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter number 5. You said, what are the keys? What does this have to do with the keys to success, the keys to achieving the, the, the purpose for our life? Well, I said, number one, you need to learn to be content in your current stage. And I said, number two, that you need to seek a fresh anointing for every stage in your life. But number three, for those of you taking notes, I'd like you to write this statement down, you need to uh, learn to attempt great things for God. William Carey, one of those famous missionaries from the past, a Baptist missionary, went to India when no one was in India preaching the gospel. He had a famous statement he would make. He said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And you know, the reason that David was as successful as he was is because he looked at a situation, he looked at a a city, and he said, this city is right smack down. If you know where Jerusalem is, and and this is important, we'll talk about it in a second. Jerusalem is right in the center of the entire nation of Israel. And he said, this city, from the moment we came here, from all the way from Joshua and Judges and all of that, that, that whole history, this city has been right in the center of the land that God gave us, and no one's been able to take it. The Jebusites have been living there. These heathen, with their heathen practices, have been there. And no one's been able to challenge them. No one's been able to beat them. No one's been able to go after them. And David says, you know what? I'm going to attempt something great for God. I'm going to attempt something difficult for God. I'm going to attempt something big for God. He said, I'm taking the city of Jerusalem. Notice verse 6, 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 6. 
And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Now notice what they said. They said, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Now there's two ways you can take that statement, and there are two beliefs that you know, people say uh, of what they meant by that. One belief is that they were saying, We are so well guarded that even the blind and the lame... Even if we just put the blind and the lame out there to fight for us, you cannot come in hither. The other belief, and the one I tend to think that he's saying that they're saying because they use the word except. You see the word except there in verse 6? Except thou take away the blind and the lame. I believe they were saying, you know what? We're not going anywhere, David. We've been here a long time, David. No one's been able to fight us off, David. And if you want to fight, David... We're not going down without a fight. In fact, if you're going to take us, you're going to have to kill each and every one of us. Even the, the blind and the lame are going to fight against you, David, because they thought David could not come in hither. And by the way, let me say something. That's how sin is in your life. There are sins in your life where you just got to eradicate the whole thing. There are some things you just got to cut every relationship. You got to cut, you got to get it all out. You can't keep anything there because there are some sins in your life that are stubborn and say, I'm not going anywhere without a fight. And see, the reason some of you keep falling and falling and falling back into sin, back into sin, back into sin, back into sin, because you're not willing to make that final cut. And say, you know what? Okay, I don't want to have to kill the lame and the blind, but if that's the way you're going to have it, we're going to get rid of you one way or the other. We're going to completely dislodge you from this place. You will no longer have a stronghold in the will of God, in the house of God, in the place of God. Notice verse 7. Nevertheless, I like, I like that word. David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. You know why David was successful? Because he attempted to do great and difficult things for God, and God helped him. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. You say, well, how did David do it? Look at verse 8. And David said unto on that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter. You see that word gutter? The word gutter there is referring to a water passage. Okay, he said, whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind and the uh, 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 that, that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Now, in, in, we're not going to turn there, but in Second Chronicles 11, we're told that it was Joab who led that charge. And that's why Joab was the general. Joab was in charge. But here's what I want you to understand. David looked at that situation and said, OK, a lot of people have tried to do this. A lot of people try to fight them. We're not going to be able to just walk up to that wall and beat these people. There's no way to do it. He started thinking. He said, you know what? They got to get water somehow. There's got to be a passage of water. There's got to be a gutter. There's got to be a passage of water. They're drinking water there somehow. He said, you know what? Whosoever getteth up to the gutter. He said, whosoever sneaks in through the water passage. Whosoever thinks outside the box and can figure out a way to get these people to get in there and smite at the Jebusites. And he says, and go ahead and smite the lame and the blind. If that's the way they want it. He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Into the house. You, know, you know what David, here's what I like about David. And some of you need to get this. David did not give or take excuses. David didn't sit there and say, well, you know, the Jebusites are just always going to live with us because, every, I mean, everybody's tried to take them. I mean, Joshua wasn't able to run them out. All the judges weren't able to run them out. No one's been able to do it. So we're just, and you know what? We live in a day today where Christians are like, well, nobody can do it today. I was talking to Pastor Anderson yesterday. We were talking about, I have a heart for the state of California, and Pastor Anderson's from California, from Sacramento, and he has a heart for the state of California, and we are just kind of, you know, 
talking about how aggravating it was, it is, because all, uh, it seems like all these preacher boys we have around here and here and there or everywhere, you know, no one wants to come to California. Everyone wants to go to the Bible Belt. Everyone wants to go where it's easy, you know, and it's like, no one wants to come to California. And we're, and we're just saying, you know, he, we were talking about the fact because he, he was saying, man, I saw that you guys had 200 in, in church on Sunday. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, you know, it's crazy. You know how you can build a Bible-believing, fundamental Baptist, hellfire and brimstone church even in California? Even in the communist nation of California? And people today are like, no, I don't want to go to California, you know. Let me go somewhere where it's a little easier. You know what? I want to be like David and say, give me those Jebusites. That's the one I want. I want to build where no one else is built. I want to grow where no one else has grown. I want to take the city. I don't want to say it's easy. I don't want to go down to the south where there's a Baptist church on every corner. Good night. Why don't you go up to California and, and build something great here? Why don't you take the city of Jerusalem that no one else is able to take? And you know what? Today, people are telling you, you can't raise your children for God. You can't have a marriage that lasts more than 10 years. You can't do this. You can't do that. Hey, David said, you know what? Let's attempt something big for God. Let's attempt something great for God. Let's do something difficult and hard. So when it's done, we all know that God did it. See, David attempted great things for God. David said, I don't want to take those cities. Everybody else has taken. I want the hard one, the one no one's taken. I want, to go to this, I want to go to a place where it's difficult. I want to go to a place where it's hard. I want to win the hard case. And he didn't take any excuses. Let me be honest with some of you. You're, the reason you're a failure in life is that you give too many excuses. That's what, it, it's what it is. It, it, I'm not, I don't know how else to say it without hurting your feelings, but you, you fail at excuses. David said, no excuses. Figure out how to get it done. David said, don't tell me why we can't do it. Tell me how we're going to do it. Don't come to me with all the reasons. And by the way, as a pastor, please, don't come to me with all the reasons why we can't get something done. I understand we got to look at things logically, and I praise the Lord for men that have got some smarts in their brain, and they can say, here, pastor, you might want to be aware of this situation. This. I, I get that. I'm not talking about that. But the people that get around you and say, well, pastor, I don't know, a 10,000-square-foot building, you really think we can do that? You're the same person that was telling me we couldn't get into a 4,200-square-foot building. You're the same person telling me we couldn't go from our living room to an 1,800 square foot building. I don't want to hear it. And some of you have all your excuses as to why you can't go soul winning and why you can't be faithful to church and why you can't do this and why you can't do that. And everybody else can do it, but I'm just not able to do it. You are no David, and you will fail at life if you don't learn to just get things done. Quit making excuses. Figure out there's a way to get this done. There's a way to fit it into my schedule. There's a way to to do it and just learn to get it done. David attempted great things for God. The Bible tells us, is anything too hard for the Lord? Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You know what? We ought to attempt great things. I, I, I liked about Elisha, how he asked Elijah. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, thou hast asked a hard thing. And then he used the same word that the Bible uses here, nevertheless. And Elisha got that double portion. But he wasn't sitting around doing nothing for it either. Jerusalem was a strategic choice. David chose it because it was a strategic choice. Let me give you a couple of reasons why he chose Jerusalem. If you look at a map of Israel, Jerusalem's right in the center. Remember, David is coming out of a civil war between the north and the south. We had a similar war here in the United States. And he's now choosing a capital because his capital has been Hebron, which is close to Jerusalem, but on the southern side. And he needs a capital. And instead of playing favorites, because here's the thing, if he would have chosen a city in the south, people would have said, oh, he's just playing favorites to the south. Or if he would have chosen a city in the north, 
Peter said, oh, he's just choosing the north. But in order to not have anybody say anything, he chose Jerusalem, which is just right smack down in the center of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting because it's similar to the United States. You know, we had the Civil War in the U.S., but even well before the Civil War, even back to the Revolutionary War, there was tension between the North and the South. And the South actually didn't want to be part of the Revolutionary War. They didn't want anything to do with it until, you know, the British started taking all their land and burning their barns and all that, you know. And, but there was this tension between them. So Washington, D.C. was chosen. Why? Because it's right in the middle of the North and the South. You know, just so it's not like, oh, it's all about the north or the south. So it's kind of interesting. Here's another reason why uh, David chose Jerusalem is because it was inhabited by heathen. He wasn't favoring a tribe. It's not like he was choosing a city that belonged to Benjamin or choosing a city that belonged to Judah. It was, he was choosing a city that belonged to no one. And he said, I'm going to take that one. So no one could. So it's kind of interesting just why he chose that. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to finish up right here. We'll, end up the, we'll, we'll finish the rest of the chapter next week. Three keys that we learned about the life of David. Number one, learn to be content in your current stage in life. Number two, seek a fresh anointing when your stage in life changes or increases. Number three, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. People say, right, can, you, can you really do a great work in California? I, I think we're doing it. I think it's working. Last I checked, people were getting saved. Last I checked, people were getting baptized. People were growing in grace, knowledge of our Lord and Savior. I, I think it can be done. Second Samuel chapter 5. You go ahead and go to Texas if you need to do that, right? Second Samuel chapter 5, look at verse 11. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. And David perceived, I want you to just notice these two things, okay? David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, all right? Just as we finish up, let me give you two thoughts as we conclude. Number one, if you succeed, it's because God did it. If this church grows, it's because God did it. If if your children end up living for God, it's because God did it. If you're able to come to the end of your life having a marriage that was successful and faithful and true, it's because God did it. Because God worked in us. I won't have you turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, the Bible says this, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not received? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? He says, what do you have that you didn't get from God anyway? Well, I'm really talented. God gave you that. Well, I'm really smart. God gave you that. Well, I've got a great job. God gave you that. There's nothing you have that God didn't give to you. And see, David understood this when he was a shepherd boy, and David understood this when he was the king of the entire nation. The Bible said that David perceived that the Lord, that the Lord, not David, that the Lord had established him king over Israel. If you succeed, it's because God did it. Let me give you one more thing. And that he, that's the Lord, had exalted his, that's David's, kingdom, notice why, for his, that's the Lord's, People, Israel, sake. Let me say this. If you succeed, it's because God did it. Number two, if you succeed, it's to be a blessing to others. Why did God establish King David? Not for King David's sake. He had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. 
God gave David resources. God gave David ability. God gave David things to use, not for himself, but to others. The, the book of Acts tells us that David was a servant to his generation. Listen to me. You have a nice job. You have a nice whatever. You've got a talent. You've got this. You've got whatever it is you've got. God did not give that to you to waste it. God gave that to you to use it to be a blessing and to minister to others. I don't care if it's a talent to speak. I don't care if it's money. I don't care. Whatever it is that you have at your disposal, number one, you have it because God gave it to you, and you have it to use it in the service and the ministry of others, to be a blessing to others. God didn't make David king for, David, for King David's sake. God helped David get to the place that he was to achieve his purpose for God's glory and for God's people's benefit. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Have, have